0: in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 8. We resume our study of Luke's gospel. And just uh, one more note about uh, our family right now. Many of you have asked if there's anything you can do to help. And uh, certainly prayer is mainly what we need. Uh, The second thing, I appreciate those of you who've sent cards to Caroline. Uh, She loves receiving cards. And uh, if you are able to send a card in the mail, that brings great joy to her each day. And thank you for those who've done that. Uh, Today, we're going to be coming back to Luke's Gospel. I appreciate Pastor Jacob uh, preaching last week. And today, we're going to go back to chapter 8. And if you've been with us in our study of Luke's Gospel, uh, you know that Luke, uh, in the very beginning of the Gospel, he states that this is an orderly account. Uh, Meaning, these aren't just uh, narratives thrown together for no particular reason. But through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Dr. Luke has put together this account in an orderly way. Uh, so that we might learn in an orderly way, meaning that uh, what comes before this passage, what comes after this passage, it all connects together. And if you've been with us, you know that Luke chapter 8, Jesus uh, has been teaching, and Luke has arranged it in such a way that we might clearly see Jesus' is teaching on the necessity for us not just to hear, not just to listen, but to really live out the things we hear. That, that it's not enough to be a hearer of the word, we need to be a doer of the word. And so then it, it makes sense to us why as you read through this account where Jesus has really pressed this issue, if you, if you have ears to hear, then hear, listen to what I'm saying. And, and that listening will be evidenced by fruit and by doing. And that's why he gave us the parable of the soils. That parable helps us to ask the question, are, are we indeed listening and doing? Because it's entirely possible Uh, to be one like that rocky soil that he describes, who who hear, who initially seem to receive the word with joy, uh, but then Jesus says when a time of testing comes, we might fall away because there was no actual root. Well, now we are going to see in the disciples' life a time of testing. And we see in our own lives a time of testing. And so I pray that God might help us to learn what it is to truly be rooted in Him during these times of testing that we face, the one that the disciples will face is an actual storm on the Sea of Galilee. And so let's turn our attention there and out a reverence for God's Word. If you're able, I want to invite you to stand as I read this passage for us. This is what God's Word says. One day, He, Jesus, got into a boat with His disciples. And he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake. And they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased. And there was a calm. And He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled saying to one another, Who then is this that He commands even winds and water? And they obey Him. If you would pray with me. Father, we see here the sovereignty of our Lord Jesus. Jesus. As we have seen throughout Luke's gospel, He is the one with all authority in heaven and on earth, given to Him by you, the authority over all things, including the winds and the waves and the storms. Both the physical storm that we see here and the storms that we face in our lives. So help us, Lord, to trust You in the midst of storms today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Many have, in recent weeks, have been celebrating milestones and graduations. Uh, I've thought back on my own school days, and and perhaps this is a memory some of you share. I was a a fair student. I, I did well when I knew a test was coming, but the place I struggled in was those days when I would come to class, and the teacher would say those dreaded words... Clear your desk, can take out your pencil, it's time for a pop quiz. I don't know if you have pop quizzes anymore, but I had many of them in my day, and they essentially were a a testing that was unexpected. A A test that would come to see if you had actually been listening and learning and could then respond well to show that you had that there might be fruit of your learning there it wasn't something you could study for or prepare for it wasn't something you necessarily would expect it just came and it tested you well, as we look to Luke's gospel now i believe that is the very thing that the disciples are now facing on the heels of Jesus talking about testing in your faith that that rocky soil that i just referred to that 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 when Testing of our faith comes so often through trials and suffering and hard times that testing reveals whether we've actually been listening or not. And we see that in our world and especially in the church today. That there are people who come into our church and others, they hear the gospel, they receive it with joy, there's a sense of excitement, then hard times come and one of two things usually happens. They go closer to the cross or they go farther away. That they cling to it, that they long for it, or they want nothing to do with it. And testing reveals this. And I believe it is very much a testing of faith that we are seeing now in the lives of the disciples. An unexpected test that begins with an invitation to get in a boat and to go across a lake. I mean, few pictures are more surreal than that. (laughs) This lake that so many of these men had spent their entire lives on. So many of them fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. So many of them who who knew these shores and knew these waters. They knew the conditions. They look out on what seems to be, by all accounts, a, a relatively calm day. And Jesus says, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. But little did they know when they got into that boat that their faith would indeed be tested And so let's walk through this test and look at some observations that we might learn from the test that they go through. We'll begin with the first one there in your outline. Point one, we see here that God is sovereign over our storms. We see a picture in the very beginning of this passage of of the sovereignty of God, meaning that, that God is providential, God has a plan, God is in control. Jesus had a plan here. His plan is stated very clearly. He says to the disciples, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. He isn't ambiguous about his plan. He doesn't say, let's get in the boat and see what happens. He doesn't say, let's just paddle out to the middle and, and we'll just see what we're going to do from there. He says, no, there's an intentionality here. There's a plan here. We, we are going to get to the other side. And, and we know because we have God's Word before us. And, and Jesus obviously knew, because He is fully God and fully man, what was to come on the other side. That The passage we'll look at next Lord's Day. That there was a man on the other side who had been so tormented by the devil and by demons and by this unclean spirit that had overtaken Him, that He was living among the dead. He was actually living in tombs. And Jesus was going to the other side to deliver this man from this demonic oppression to set him free. A a glorious thing that we'll see next week. Uh, Jesus fully well knew that was what was to come. The disciples, however, only knew this. That Jesus said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. Now they were going to go across the Sea of Galilee. We have come to this See before, it's where. Luke takes us at the beginning of chapter 5, where we find Jesus going to these fishermen, getting in their boat, calling them to be followers of him. You may remember that scene there in Simon Peter's boat, where uh, the picture Luke gives us is that they had been fishing all night long. They had caught nothing. They're exhausted. It's time to go home. And yet now this carpenter, this rabbi, gets in the boat, starts teaching them things, and tells them, the fishermen, to drop the nets down, the wrong kind of nets, the wrong kind of day, in waters that produced nothing the whole night through. And yet when they did this, their nets were literally bursting from the weight of the fish that when they put them in the boat, the boats began to sink. This was a sea, this was a body of water that these men knew well. The the Sea of Galilee, we know it was about 13 miles by 7 miles, a large body of water about 150 feet deep in the middle. And geographically, it sat in such a way that it was at the bottom of an area surrounded by mountains. And what these men would have experienced many times is the climate and conditions where the the warm air of that water would encounter the cool air coming down these mountains, and it would produce massive storms at times. We don't tend to think today of of storms on a lake because when we think of lakes, we think of relatively small bodies of water, not in a climate like this. But but this was a storm that we would associate with a storm at sea. In fact, the language here says that the storm they encounter was such as an earthquake. And so these would be more like gale force winds. This would be more like a, a hurricane coming through as these men journey across this lake in a boat. Now, modern depictions, depictions of this might give us the impression that they were on a boat like the Mayflower, uh, but this boat was more like a wide canoe, barely setting above the water's level. And so you can imagine the fear that would then come when this storm would come upon them. But, but again, all we know at this point is that they are setting out with Jesus to go across this lake, That at this point, seems to be relatively calm. And then Luke tells us in verse 23, it's so calm that Jesus fell asleep. Now, all other things aside, it it encourages me greatly that Jesus took naps. The most Christ-like thing today you might do is take a nap. And Luke doesn't tell us this as as a side note, that there's a teaching here that the fullness of Jesus' humanity and the fullness of Jesus' deity are both on display in this passage. We, we will see His deity as the one who has authority over all things, including the wind and the waves. That, that's what these disciples marvel at. But we should marvel just the same. That Jesus slept. That, that the incarnation, that, that, that God takes on flesh... That God will become one of us. There's gospel hope and gospel promise in this little teaching that Jesus slept. He knows what it is to be tired. He knows what it is to be worn out. That that when you and I are crying out to God in our weariness, in our tiredness, Jesus knows what it is to be weary and to be tired. He takes a nap and physically, he's probably exhausted. I mean, by all accounts, leading up to this point, he has probably preached at this point to the largest crowd that he would preach at in his earthly ministry. He's been surrounded by people who constantly were in need. I mean, if you're a parent here this morning, especially to you moms here this morning, you know this phrase. Mama, 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 mama. <laughs> and I want to tell you, at least as someone who has children now in college and just out of college, they keep saying it down the road. Our children in recent weeks have all made pit stops in our home, some longer than others, and I have laughed as I have heard from the other room from our college-age daughters. Mama, 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 mama. (laughs) And you can imagine the number of times people were saying, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Lord, 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 Lord. I mean, the exhaustion of the multitudes and not just what they were saying, what they were thinking. The Gospels tell us that Jesus, when He looks on the multitudes, He He sees them distressed and downcast as sheep without a shepherd. He sees what we cannot see. I see a beautiful group of people this morning. You look so good this morning. How are your souls this morning? I can't see that. And you can express it. When you get up here and start weeping during an introduction, you get a hint of it for some of us. But, but I can't see it. But Jesus could. And, and the fatigue that would bring upon someone. Fully God. But fully man. And so he sleeps. But, but be careful here that, that, that in the mystery of the incarnation and in seeing God man together in flesh, that, that, that we mistakenly then think somehow that, that our God eternal, the Father in heaven is sleeping at this point because He's not resting. He's not sleeping. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 121, I, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. We can sleep because God does not. Jesus could rest in this boat because the Father was awake in heaven. Fully awake and fully in control and fully providential. In fact, I think we see here in the humanity of Jesus what it truly means to trust God in the midst of the storm. Because Jesus knows the storm is coming. This is not one of those times in our lives when, you know, we, we, we prepare for this beautiful day and we're out on the lake or, or out by the water or out wherever we might be going and then the storm clouds come and then we start to look at each other and say, well, the weatherman got it wrong again. Jesus knows better than the weatherman because Jesus is in control of all things. And he knows full well the storm is coming because he is sovereign over the storm. And in knowing these things, He is still able to lay His head down and rest, knowing what is coming. I found myself at times, perhaps you have found yourself at times, wanting to know what is coming, but what a beautiful thing in God's grace that we don't know what is coming, because we'd probably never go to bed. If we knew what Jesus knew, there's no way we would have laid our head down and slept in this boat. (laughs) We would have turned the boat around we would have gotten out of the boat. We would have gotten as far away from this storm as possible. And yet, Jesus has full intent in this storm going, this boat going into the eye of the storm. And He is able to sleep and He is able to rest because He knows what is on the other side. You see, Jesus knows the Father's mission before Him and what is to come. And, and this man that we'll look at next week who is who is being tortured at this very moment by the wicked, wicked, wicked evil that we can't even imagine. And He's going to be delivered from it. And His deliverance will not come one second later than it should because of a storm. Because God is sovereign. And so all they have to hold on to at this point, all the disciples know as this storm is about to come, is the words of Jesus, let us go across to the other side of the lake. And friends, that's all they need. That's all we need. And God in His providence has not told us, here's all the storms you will face and here's all the terrible tragedies that will become you. And all these hardships and all these trials. What He has told us is He indeed will take us safely to the other side. That if you are in Christ this morning, if your hope is in Jesus this morning, then the truth we sing about is the truth in your life that Jesus indeed is our anchor. And no matter what storm may come, He will safely, securely, guarantees that He will take us to the other side. A new heaven and a new earth. And glory awaits. And nothing can take that from us. If you're in Christ, he says, we're in his hand, we're in the Father's hand. No one can snatch us out of that hand. And so all they have at this point is that they will go to the other side. And yet, we will see whether or not they truly believe that. As we come now to this next point, next verse, point two. Storms reveal the object of our faith. These storms that God is sovereign over, they, they reveal much about us, principally the object of our faith. And so this storm comes, <laughs> it, it rages. And in verse 24, we read, they, they went and they woke Jesus, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And Matthew, as we read earlier, records them saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Mark records it this way, that they said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? (laughs) Which one is it? I think it's all three. It's like your kids, again, there's lots of voices and they're not taking turns. And so you got... One disciple over here going, God, Don't you even care that we're perishing? And you've got another one saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And you've got all these voices and probably more things than this all coming out as one time questioning Jesus. And essentially, collectively together, what they're saying to Jesus is, This storm is intense. We're about to die. Don't you even care? This will date some of you, but some of you might remember a song from 1976 by Gordon Lightfoot. The song was about the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. The Edmund Fitzgerald was a a massive carrier ship. Uh, In its day, it was the largest ship to ever be placed on any of the Great Lakes, and it was there to carry cargo back and forth built, I believe, in the 1950s, but in November of 1975, a massive storm came upon this great lake. I believe it was Lake Superior. And this massive ship encountered winds as much as 100 miles an hour and waves that were three stories high, and it literally broke the ship in half. Now, the two halves of the ship drifted Uh, far apart from each other, and they both found themselves resting on the bottom of that lake about 500 feet below the surface. They took with them 29 people who were the crew of that ship and perished that day. And Lightfoot wrote a a song about this, memorializing this event, this tragedy, and and he sings about the event, but then he, he, he asked this question in his song. Does anyone know... Where the love of God goes when the waves turn the minutes to hours. You might not know anything about the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, but if you've gone through suffering, you know that question. Does anyone know where the love of God goes when the waves turn the minutes to hours? That those times when we suffer and moments seem like days and we find ourselves asking God, do you really love me? God, do you really have good plans for me? Because we struggle to see the goodness of God in the midst of the storm. Or maybe we cry out this very same question that the disciples cried out in the midst of their storms. Their storm. Jesus, do you even care? <laughs> but because our thought is well if you cared, then we wouldn't suffer. Because we struggle to see how might this suffering be a reflection of God's care because we associate care with a lack of suffering. I don't want to suffer and I certainly don't want my children to suffer. And so in my love for them, I want to take away suffering. We, we look to God in this way. God, if you love me, why not take this suffering Away from me. But Jesus doesn't wake up and say, Let me answer your question now. (laughs) No, he, he awakes, verse 25, and he stands and he rebukes the wind and the raging waves. I mean, I mean, the same word is used here, the same verbiage that describes what Jesus did over the demonic realm when he encountered it. He rebuked it as one with all authority, and the demons fled. We'll see this in the next passage. This this demoniac, this man oppressed by this unclean spirit, with a word he's cleansed. With a word, it all stops. <laughs> you know, we've all seen the. The, the pictures in movies where there's some raging storm at sea, and then the, the clouds part, and slowly the winds die down, and those massive waves slowly they start to go down, and, and the people in the boat they kind of wipe all the water off their face, and then the, the sun comes out. That's not what happens here. With a word, it ceases. It doesn't calm. It doesn't slow down. It's as if it never was. Because Jesus has authority over the winds of the waves. And with a word, it stops. And then Jesus asks a question. In response, I believe, to the question the disciples asked of Him. Jesus, do you even care that we are perishing? Jesus responds with this question. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? This is the question for us as well. He doesn't ask them, how strong is your faith? I and mean, when we see him in the other gospel accounts saying they they had little faith at this point. I mean, he doesn't even He doesn't rebuke them here for waking him up. He doesn't say, how how dare you wake me up and didn't you know I had this under control? He he simply looks at them and says, where is your faith? I think, and this is my thoughts on this, I think perhaps that what he's pointing out is that they they weren't truly trusting in Jesus in the midst of the storm. They were trusting perhaps in themselves. I mean, Jesus didn't take them outside of their comfort zone to test them. (laughs) He took them to the place they were probably the most comfortable. The place that they had been during many storms. I mean, The Sea of Galilee would have sudden storms that would raise up these men as fishermen who spent their their lives on the water, probably as children, in their father's boats. And then before that, their fathers had been in their father's boat. I mean, this was their nature, that, that they knew this. They knew what it was to be in a boat in the Sea of Galilee when a storm comes. And so you can imagine the scenario. They're going to the other side. Jesus is sleeping. The storm starts to come. And I would imagine for many of them, they're thinking, we got this. <laughs> Should we wake Jesus? I mean, he's a really good rabbi. And he's a carpenter, but <laughs> he's not a fisherman. We're the fishermen, you know. We... We know the rough seas, you know. I, I don't know if you've ever been out on a, on a boat in rough waters with someone who's been through that a lot and you haven't been. It's a miserable experience. I grew up on the coast. My dad, uh, he, he was a great fisherman, and at one point he had a boat and we'd go out on the ocean and go fishing, and, and I dreaded those times. I love my dad, I love fishing, but I got seasick every time. And what would make it worse is my dad would be on the boat, and he'd have a couple of his old fishing buddies on his boat, and, you know, I'm losing everything within me in the water. And these guys, oh, yeah, you know, you want some beef jerky? It's not a very fun experience. There, there, there's something that there's a pride sometimes in our life where we've gone through something so many times. We kind of pride ourselves on, oh, I got this, you know. That, that newbie, that greeny, there, you just kind of laugh at them. And so I would imagine for the disciples, the, the fishermen that are in this boat, they're thinking, we, we got this. There's no need to wake up Jesus. And then they realize they don't have this. You know, God has a way in our storms of exposing our self-sufficiency, doesn't He? Because when crisis comes, when... When hard times come, when suffering comes, our gravitational pull is toward self-sufficiency. I got this. I can do this. We, we pride ourselves on it. There's this pride of self-sufficiency in our lives that no, I, can, I can do it, you know. And, and it's evidenced when we say things like, "Well, well, God wouldn't give you more than you can handle. Yeah, He does all the time. Because if, if that was true, and it's not. But if that was true, then, then what need is there for God? The, 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 these tests are just endurance tests that we might get stronger on our own and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and, and we got this. And if the Gospel of Jesus teaches us anything, it teaches us, friend, we don't got this. We can't do this. And God, in His grace and care and goodness, He loves us enough to peel away that self-sufficiency. Storm after storm after storm until all we can do is cry out to Him. And one of the most gracious things He will ever do in your life and in my life is break our legs that we may not walk on our own. And strip us of all our idols and all these things in our life that we turn to apart from Him. That we might solely focus on the cross and on Jesus. And I think that's part of what we're seeing here in this testing. He strips away their pride. He strips away their dependency. So these these rough and tough Fishermen who when the storm comes might have their their foot up on the bow and thinking we got this. They literally at this point are probably puking on the floor. (laughs) And they're crying out. And, And they believe they're about to die. They're going to the bottom of the Sea of Galilee and that's it. And so when Jesus says to them where is your faith? That's the quiz. That's the test. One question. And I think he's exposing them and exposing their, their lack of faith. Not, not the strength of their faith, the weakness of the faith, l- lack of fully trusting in him, the one who said, let's go to the other side. Where is your faith this morning? Now, think about this passage and think about quizzes. You know, what, what, what grade would we give the disciples here? You know, did they fail? I mean, they, they didn't jump out of the boat. I don't think any of us would give them an A+. Plus. Did they pass? Did they fail? It's a hard question to answer about them. I, I can answer it better about myself this morning, and I can say, I, I fail a lot. And maybe you find that you fail a lot too when suffering comes. It, it is very, very easy. To get in this pulpit this morning and tell you, have faith in the midst of storms. It's very hard to do that when storms come in my life. Just as it's hard for you to do that when storms come in your life. And maybe you find yourself where I found myself. Thank you. I failed again. (laughs) I'm never going to pass. But friends, the comfort we have this morning is we're not saved based on the strength of our faith. We're saved based on the object of our faith. And if the object of your faith this morning is the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are secure and you will get to the other side. And these disciples, where is your faith? Their faith was in Jesus. And so he's going to take them to the other side, which brings us to that third Point then what, what do we learn here? What do they learn here? Point three, we see storms teach us to trust in God's faithfulness. They teach us to trust in God's faithfulness. Verse 25, Jesus says to them, where is your faith? He, he asked this question. And notice, they don't really answer the question right away. They, they, they're afraid. And Luke tells us they marveled. And then they, they don't say this to Jesus, but they say to one another, Who then is this that He commands even winds and water and they obey Him? Now, something I find interesting at this point is this isn't the first time that the disciples have seen Jesus exercise His authority over nature. It's not the first time they've seen it at the Sea of Galilee in a boat. I mean, in Luke 5, Jesus gets in the boat with Simon Peter. He exercises His authority over nature by filling his nets with fish to the point that Peter knows full well this was not just some crafty fishing technique. This was one who had Lord over all creation. Again, he strips Peter of his self-sufficiency, his independence. He shows him that he can do what we cannot do and he shows him his power over nature. But this is different, isn't it? I mean, if, if, if you're Peter and you get to pick, I'll pick the nets full of fish over the storm that puts me in a place where I think I'm going to die. You know? I would far rather God teach me about His authority over all things <laughs> through rainbows and pots of gold. His authority over all things by removing the sickness and the cancer and the disease. I'd rather that any day of the week, wouldn't you? But you see here, it's it's not a measure of how faithful God is. We, we, We see the fullness of His faithfulness in both these accounts. He's faithful in flooding a boat with provision. And He's faithful in flooding a boat with turmoil and suffering. And here, in the suffering, He fills the boat that the disciples might see that He's also the one who can save the boat and clear the boat and clear the waves and take them where He said He was going to take them. And this testing, this this quiz in their life, it, it has a purpose just as God has a purpose in our lives today that He might teach them about His faithfulness. Because here's what I believe. I believe that the disciples got to the other side of that lake trusting more in the faithfulness of God than they would have had the ride been smooth. And I trust and believe that you and I are going to arrive in a new heaven and new earth one day praising God even more for His faithfulness and His grace and His mercy because of the storms we encountered. So much more than we ever would have had this life been easy and storm-free. I believe it. And I think that's what we see here, and I think that's what the Gospels continually preach to us. So that James might write in James 1, that in the midst of these things, that we should count it all joy. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That's not my fleshly response to trials. That's not my gravitational pull. They come, it's not joy. It's hard. God says there's joy in it because there's growth in it because He's teaching us through it that we might see and savor the glory of God and nothing else. And so Jesus uses here a storm to teach His disciples who He truly is. That He is indeed the one with all authority in heaven and on earth. Authority over the winds and the waves. And He does this through affliction and through suffering. I was talking to a, a dear member of our church a couple of weeks ago as I was preparing to go to Dayton for Caroline surgery. Called to check on this church member, and we were talking through how they were doing. Their health has been very hard in recent years and prayed with them, talked with them, I was about to get off the phone. And they said, I, I just have one quick question for you, Pastor. Why? Why is your daughter suffering through this? Why why am I suffering through things? Why do we suffer? Well, that's not a quick question. (laughs) But if I had 100 years to answer it, I I couldn't answer it in a satisfying way for any of us this morning. Why? You know, Jesus has a way of, of not answering our questions in a satisfactory way. But but turning our questions to this point of trusting in Him more. And so essentially the disciples say, Lord, why? And Jesus' response is, Well, where's your faith? Will you trust in me? And no matter what comes, will you trust in me? And trust that I have a plan and I have a purpose and that you're going to make it to the other side. And really the question for us this morning isn't, isn't why, it's who. Are we trusting in him? I'll leave you with this, a, a quote that I'm sure I've read before. I've read many times in my own lives by J.C. Ryle that kind of brings this home. He says this, by affliction he teaches us many precious lessons, which without it we should never learn. By affliction, He shows us our emptiness and weakness. and He draws us to the throne of grace. He purifies our affections. He weans us from the world. He makes us long for heaven. That in the resurrection morning, we shall all say, it is good for me that I was afflicted. And we shall thank God for every storm. Maybe you can't thank Him today. But friends, one day you will if your hope is in Jesus. And if your hope is not in Jesus today, then friend, I invite you to come to the cross. If you would stand with me as I pray for that very thing.